Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is a Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 178. Hey, if you don't ask, you don't get. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he's more cheesy than a shopping cart full of brie, Pat Flynn. What's up? Oh man, I cannot wait to share this episode with you because we are talking with an author of a best-selling book that has changed the course of what SPI will become and how I will better serve you. Now, some background information. A lot of you know that I ran a survey uh, to you and this was done in July. Actually, while I was out in Australia, the survey was being run and it was collecting information from you. Over 5,000 people, listeners, blog readers, people who watch SPI TV have responded And you've responded in such a great way because you've helped me realize that I was not serving you in the best way possible. And I structured that survey in a specific way based off of this formula that has really, really opened up my eyes to what I can do to better serve you. And this is, this book is called Ask, A-S-K period, the counterintuitive online formula to discover exactly what your customers want to buy, create a mass of raving fans, and take any business to the next level. This is written by Ryan Levesque, who is our guest today. Levesque is spelled L-E-V-E-S-Q-U-E, and I totally butchered that the first time I mentioned it on a Periscope uh, when I talked about this book and how great it was. But Ryan Levesque, he comes on this episode. We talk a lot about the survey. We talk even about my survey and the particular questions I asked and what I did right, what I did wrong, a little bit about the results as well. And Ryan just, oh my gosh, I feel like this is gonna change a lot of people's lives because it's definitely changed mine. I know that so many amazing things are gonna happen here on SPI and I'm putting the team to work. My team is doing a lot of things now, changing the look of the website and delivering more value to you based off of the survey results as well. And so we're gonna get into exactly what these surveys are all about. There's different kinds and they have different purposes and there's specific ways to ask these questions. And I'm pretty sure you're gonna be blown away by by this. So here is Ryan Levesque from askformula.com and the author of Ask, and make sure you stick around to the end too because uh, there's a way to get his book for free with just shipping and handling, and uh, we'll talk to you more about that. But here he is, Ryan Levesque. Here we go. What's up, everybody? I'm so happy to welcome Ryan Levesque here on the SPI podcast. A lot of you have heard me talk about him recently, and here we are. Here he is. What's up, Ryan? Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Pat, thanks so much for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. You know, this is 
probably going to be one of the most important episodes that I've recorded in a while, and I'm so happy that you're here because you've already helped me so much with your best-selling book, Ask, and we're gonna talk more about the book and why it was written and all that stuff, but why don't you introduce yourself to the audience really quick? Kind of tell us your story on how you got to where you're at now. Sure, so people know me today as the survey funnel guy or the Ask guy, and the reason for that, in addition to the book, my claim to fame is today, every single day, I generate 52,000 email subscribers every single day using surveys and quizzes. That's across 23 different markets that range from golf instruction to tennis instruction to weight loss to business funding to dentistry to dog training, and the list goes on. And that's what I do now. But like most people, I started online in a very humble way. And my story goes back about 10 years. My wife and I were living in China, of all places. I was working for the insurance company, AIG. I was opening up sales offices across the country. And one day, I step into my office and I open up my door to see the cover of the Wall Street Journal Asia edition read, AIG, file for bankruptcy. Mm. This was in 2008, in the middle of the world financial crisis, and I picked up the phone, I called my wife, and I said, honey, I think I'm going to get out. I had been contemplating leaving the corporate world and starting my own business, and we had a little fledgling business in the most obscure niche, just like your first niche. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was very obscure. We were in the uh, how to make Scrabble tile jewelry. No way. Market. Are you serious? <laughs> Scrabble tile jewelry. That's awesome. <laughs> So that was our first little market. And we were making a few thousand dollars at the time. And I said, honey, I think, I think we can make a go at it. And I was based in Shanghai. She was based in Hong Kong, getting her PhD at Hong Kong University. So we're living this crazy bi-country marriage. And uh, that very day, I drafted up a resignation letter, dropped it off on my boss's desk and said, um, uh, Peter, I think uh, I'm, I have to do this. And the excuse I gave him was I wanted to be with Tylene. I wanted to be with my wife. I didn't want to live this crazy by country marriage thing. But in the back of my mind, I had reached this boiling point um, where I just, I, I had to give it a go. I had to give the whole entrepreneurial thing a shot and uh, packed up everything, sold everything that I owned except for two suitcases, moved into student housing with my wife. And I was living like this great expat lifestyle with a car and driver and, and housekeeper and, and, you know, penthouse apartment, making all this money to living on a, a PhD a graduate student stipend mm. of like $500 a month. And I had a $450 gateway laptop and I got to work. And we grew that little Scrabble tile business. It started a few thousand dollars. And eventually we took it, Pat, to just under $10,000 a month. Wow. And we're like, man, we're, we're, we're good. Like, we're, we're awesome. And then I learned what it meant to be in a bad market. Mm. Just like Beanie Babies and, and all these other fads, uh, the Scrabble tile jewelry craze was just that. It was a craze. And, and later that year in 2008, after the world financial crisis, I joke, and the financial markets crashed, the Scrabble tile jewelry market crashed <laughs> as well. And we were back to ground zero, except this point, we had no safety net. My wife and I kind of had that, oh crap moment where we looked at each other. There's like no money coming in. And we said, what are we going to do? And my wife um, said, I'll go get a job. We'll move back to the States. She got a job as a museum curator making $32,000 a year. We moved to Brownsville, Texas. I got to work and I said, I'm not going to make the same mistake and go into a fad market. 
but I am going to go into a new market. We went into the gardening market this time and took that next business from nothing to $25,000 a month. My wife was at that point confident enough to quit her job. We moved to Austin, Texas, launched the third market, the memory in the memory market, it's a business that we have today called Rocket Memory. And at that point, we were off to the races and we haven't looked back since. And in each of those businesses, each of those markets, we applied what was the precursor, the foundation to what's now become this ask formula using questions and surveys to figure out what your market really wants. Not what they say they want, not what they think they want, but what they really want to buy from you. And then using that data to drive your marketing, to drive what products you create, to drive what language you use, and go from there. Right, and I think that's the big big deal here is it's it's not a, you know, well, I, I think this is what they want. This is what you know they want based off of data, and that's why the ask formula is so powerful. And even after conducting this recent survey here on Smart Passive Income, I've just seen, you know, everything in terms of what everybody's saying and what, every, what everybody's answers are, and that is really helping me understand what else I can do to better serve my audience down the road. And now I don't have to guess anymore. It's, it's, it's right there. And I'm so excited for what's coming. So I, I, I love this. Now, going into the Ask Formula and, and your book, I mean, when, when was the book created and how long have you been kind of running the Ask Formula at that point? Yeah, that's great. It's a great question. So I've been doing this for the better part of the last 10 years. But up until three years ago, I was a complete unknown. After I'd launched those three businesses that I mentioned, I started getting attention from other businesses who wanted to work with me to apply. It wasn't known as the ask formula then, but they wanted to apply the methodology. And I was eventually approached by a very large company who said, hey, I know this isn't what you do, but what if I paid you a huge sum of money uh, and paid you a percent of the profits? Would you be open to doing this for our business? I said, all right, sure. We'll do it as an experiment. It was wildly successful. And then company after company began recruiting me to be their secret weapon, to do this, to break into new markets. And I mentioned some of the markets at the beginning of the call. And I was the secret weapon. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody, in fact, these companies wanted me to be secret because they didn't want their competition to know what they were doing and how they were doing mm -hmm. it, how they were having such success. And then about three years ago, my first son was born. Um, Henry was born. And a few months after he was born, something weird started happening to me. I started, I started uh, getting sick. Um, I started being tired all the time, started losing weight. I ended up losing about 35 pounds. And I'm not a big guy to begin with. And I just chalked it up to overworking, just being like a, a new dad, you know, you know, like, right. you know, not getting a lot of sleep and you're running a business. And you've got all these things. And I thought, I'm just not taking good care of myself, but it's fine. This will pass. My son will eventually sleep through the night and I'll be fine. My wife insisted I apply for life insurance and I uh, had a medical exam. The examiner came to the house, did the life insurance exam, and then thought nothing of it, went to a conference in New York City, um, a marketing conference in New York City, came back, and the life insurance results and letter was on my desk when I arrived home, and the letter said, denied. Hmm. And I thought, this must be a mistake. So I call up the life insurance agent, and I tell him the situation. He says, Ryan, it's not a mistake. And in fact, in addition to the letter, I also have your results, your lab results from the exam in front of me. And you're going to want to sit down to hear this. And he said, I'm not a doctor. I remember his words exactly. Not a doctor, but I really think you need to go see one. Your results are off the charts. And he goes and proceeds and reads a whole bunch of numbers off to me. And I'm writing them down furiously. And then Pat, I made the biggest mistake of my life. 
I looked up what they meant on Google. Yeah. <laughs> and it said everything from pancreatic cancer, to liver failure, renal system shutdown, and the list went on. And I later that night, my son went to bed. I told my wife and she broke down. Um, she insisted that I go see the doctor the next day. I go see him, do lab results. And he comes out after the lab results. He grabs me by the shoulders and he says, Ryan, you should be in a coma right now. I do not know how you're standing in front of me. We need to get you to the emergency room. That rush to the emergency room, spend 10 days in the ICU. And I emerge, uh, came out of it knowing, finding out that I was in a state known as DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, which is potentially fatal. Most people find out um, because they do slip into a coma. And uh, I was on life support. Um, I, was, I had blood in my urine. Um, my pancreas had shut down. Uh, a lot of bad things were happening. And out of that experience, I kind of had my come to Jesus moment or whatever you want to describe it as. And I said, well, what am I going to do with my life? Am I just going to be this, you know, have this kind of little marketing technique that I've used and made a lot of money with, or am I going to have an impact in the world? And to answer your question, when did the book start? The book started that day in the hospital when I said, I want to give this to the world. I want to make an impact. I want to teach the world how to use this because this has had a profound impact on me my family, our financial situation, the businesses that I've helped, the consumers that benefit from getting better match solutions. And I made a commitment that I was going to share this with the world. Now, the book didn't come out until April of this year. So it's been a, a bit of a long road to get it out there and make it to what it is. But now that it is out there and there are 30, 40,000 people that have gotten their hands on the book, um, it's changing people's lives every single day. And I love your story, Pat, because it's not only because I, I'm just happy for you, but I'm just so happy because you have a voice and you can share this with your audience and, and, and they can also benefit from applying the formula in their business. Right. I mean, that's, that's why... Long, long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, I mean, first of all, I mean, just what an incredible story. And I'm glad, you know, obviously not happy that you had to go through all that, but uh, obviously a very positive outcome in terms of your book and helping so many people as a result. And, and, and so thank you for, for doing that. And I've read the book. It's amazing. And so let's let's dive into this because I think a lot of people need to hear this. I'm obviously going to recommend this book. Everybody should read it. It is going to be a part of my book club. If you aren't part of the book club yet, go to smartpassiveincome.com slash book club and you can join that. And we have some more information for people who are in the book club already, uh, if you haven't heard already in the, in the the on the email list. But anyway, yeah, we're, we're going to share this with as many people as we can because it's obviously helped me already and it's going to help a lot of people. So let's dive into exactly what 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 is this ask formula? Like, you know, we've been talking a little bit on the surface about it, but can we go into a little bit of what, what, what is this exactly? Absolutely. So the ask formula at its core is made up of four specific surveys that serve four different purposes. The overall purpose of the ask formula is to find out what people really want to buy and giving it to them and using language that resonates with them. Now, the first survey, which is the one that you, and we're going to talk about that you executed, mm -hmm. is what's called the deep dive survey. The deep dive survey is a survey you run once when you're kicking off a new project or launching a new product or entering a new market. It's designed to get open-ended data, open-ended feedback from people in your market that helps you identify two things. It identifies what they secretly want, what their unspoken desires, needs, uh, challenges are. And number two, it identifies what buckets exist in the market. So in other words, 
no market is homogenous. No market is made up of everybody who is the same. Mm -hmm. Markets are made up of sub-segments. And the deep dive survey is designed to uncover which segments you want to focus on and which you want to ignore because you can't serve everybody. You have to be selective. So that's the deep dive survey. The deep dive survey then sets you up to run something that I call the micro-commitment bucket survey. The micro-commitment bucket survey is a survey that becomes a permanent part of your prospect or lead or customer acquisition strategy. So the deep dive survey you want run once, mm-hmm. it's a, a research-based process. Then once you've identified the buckets, you want to, on your website itself, when someone opts into your list to, to make this as concrete and simple as possible, you want to ask them a series of questions that are designed to steer them in one of several possible directions. So for example, maybe if you're in the weight loss market, you've identified that there are very elementary example, three buckets of people, people who want to lose belly fat, people who want to shave weight off their thighs and hips, and people who want to tone up their arms, right? Mm-hmm. So you might have uncovered that from your deep dive research. Those are three segments worth focusing on. Well, you want to ask people when they opt into your list, which of the following best describes your single biggest challenge right now, A, B, or C? And then with that information, you can customize the products you sell, the way you speak to these segments, the emails that you send out, the sales messages, et cetera. The second one is micro-commitment bucket. Right. This is so perfect because we always hear about these advanced marketing strategies and using all these high-end tools that do a lot of this tagging and giving people personalized experiences through your email lists and sales funnels and all that stuff. But then it's like, okay, well, then that's all cool, but who, who, how do we know who to send what? And, and that's what kind of your book and, and all this uh, kind of fills in those gaps. And I've already started to see that. And that's why, sorry, I'm getting a little excited because we're at the point now where we're starting to put the systems in place to serve some of these buckets that were found and the different types of people in the audience. And you're right, a lot of surprises came out that I didn't realize, the unspoken things that my audience said through the survey that they have never told me before. Um, so deep dive survey, Micro-commitment yep. bucket where people who are constantly coming in and being almost tagging themselves essentially as, as being in one or two or, you know, different categories. What are the, what, and what are the other two uh, surveys from there? The next survey is probably one that's most controversial. It's one that's come to be known as the Do You Hate Me survey. The Do You Hate Me survey. And it gets its name because of an email subject line that's very effective that goes to say, do you hate mm-hmm. me? This survey is really a survey to find out why people aren't buying. And the reason why I like to use language like, do you hate me? Or is it something I said? Or did I say something wrong? And by the way, in all these cases, if you use that language, I recommend tagging it with a smiley face or parenthetically saying something like, well, naturally I'm joking, but I needed to get your attention with something extreme. And you want to get people's attention. So not all caps. Not all caps, <laughs> okay. no, no angry faces. Um, and you can't directly ask people, why didn't you buy? That's too direct, okay. right? That's awkward. People want to avoid it. It's too direct. You need to almost soften the situation by saying something that's sort of humorous, like, do you hate me? Actually, I know you don't hate me, but just all joking aside, I'd love to know, what was the reason why you decided not to invest in my XYZ program? Mm-hmm. What this allows you to do is that it helps you identify what are you missing? So we've done all this deep dive research. We've put people into different buckets. We're speaking to those buckets differently. And yet, we're not going to get it perfect. 
We want to find out what are we missing? What did we do not do a good job of explaining? What questions did we not do a good job of answering? The deep, excuse me, the, the, the do you hate me survey uncovers what those things are. And then it allows our marketing, I'm going to use a buzzword here, to become iterative. All that means is we can go back and make tweaks. Maybe we should change the headline. Maybe we should add an FAQ section to our sales letter. Maybe we should, we should send a specific email that addresses this particular challenge. That's all uncovered from that Do You Hate Me survey. And then last but not least, the fourth survey is something I call the pivot survey. The pivot survey is simply after you've gone through this whole process, you're still going to have a bunch of people in your world who don't buy from you. For whatever reason, it's just not the right time. Maybe it's too much money. Maybe they want to spend more money with you, but they want a done-for-you solution instead of something that they have to do themselves. Well, the pivot survey is what caps off the entire process. And you say, okay, I understand that this wasn't a fit for you. So where should we go next? Mm. Should we talk about A, B, or C? It's really like those choose-your-own-adventure books that we might have read as kids, where you're giving them the option of where they want to go next. And then it's just a matter of lather, rinse repeat. So maybe you move someone from toning their belly to toning their arms while you run a deep dive survey specifically about toning their arms and you figure out what the sub buckets are related to toning their arms. And then you funnel people through the, do you hate me survey? And then the pivot again. And these things can be chained together like train cars in a train. Yeah, I love that. And so the do you hate me survey would, for example, be at the end of a sales funnel and people haven't purchased yet. And, you know, people who have purchased are kind of off and don't get this email, but it's just kind of a natural conclusion to the sales process if somebody didn't buy. Right. So it's kind of in an, in an email sequence, you're saying? Typically, it's in an email sequence. You're absolutely right. And one of the things that I didn't mention, but I often like to do before running the do you hate me survey is I like to take to use a baseball analogy. I like to take one last swing at the bat. One last swing where I'm offering the absolute best possible deal that I can put together before I ask them why they don't buy. So oftentimes that might be something like, how about just try it for a dollar? And if you like it, pay the difference. Or how about I ship it? I'll ship you a copy or a box for free. Just cover the postage. Um, some low threshold offer where it's the best possible deal that you can, you can offer short of asking them why they don't buy. And then you run exactly like you said, Pat, that do you hate me survey, uh, oftentimes in an email only to the folks who don't purchase from you. Got it. Perfect. Thank you. I think this is, this is, I think this is getting everybody excited. I mean, I, I feel excited, even though I'm already going through this process right now. But I think most of the people who are listening, and you've probably seen this based off of my survey results, because everybody, I shared my survey results with Ryan, and he's gone in there and looked at him a little bit and wanted to give me some constructive criticism and hopefully some advice that all of us can use. Uh, but also, you know, we, I found out that a lot of people are probably in the beginning stages of building their online businesses. You know, I, I would say, uh, I, I believe it's about 80% of my audience is either just getting started, kind of has started their business within the last year or has not started yet. So I would assume that most people would benefit from kind of crunching into the deep dive survey. And so if you don't mind, can we get a little bit more detail with what is all included in the deep dive survey? I think this one is, like you said, the one that I just did, and it's provided a ton of information. But I think even before that, I wanna, I wanna have you answer the question, well, do you have to have an audience already in order to kind of go down this survey route? Because how do we run this survey if we don't have anybody to take it? That's a great question. It's one of the biggest questions I get. What happens if I don't have a list? This makes a lot of sense if I've got a huge 
following like Pat and I can just send an email to my following and I'm going to get a ton of people responding and telling me what's on their mind. But what about me? I only have a, a tiny little list or no list. What do I do? Well, you have a couple options if you don't have an existing audience. So the first option is you can run cold traffic to a page that's designed to collect survey responses. And in fact, this is something I talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. Every time that I've entered a new market, I've followed this process. So it involves creating a simple little website where you're sending Facebook ads or Google AdWords ads to a page that is designed to gather feedback about the market. And without getting into the details behind that, that's option number one. Option number two is you can reach out to someone who does have a following and offer some sort of compensation. So you could go to someone like Pat and say, hey, Pat, I'm thinking about creating a product on X, and I know your audience is probably interested in this. If I were to pay you a little bit of money or if we were to say split the profits on the product that I create, would you be open to letting me run this survey to your list? And of course, I'd naturally share the data with you. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there that will be open to doing that sort of thing. And there are also other people out there that this is their business model. They do what's called rent their email list which means that you can run a solo email and you can pay $500 or a few hundred dollars to send an email to their list. And instead of selling something, you will actually collect survey data. And one of the uh, intermediate level techniques that I do when we take this approach is after someone takes the survey and they get to the thank you page, you can send them to a product offer with a discount or some sort of coupon code code after they take the survey as a way of saying thanks, sort of like an unintended bonus for them, a surprise for cool. someone for taking the survey. And you can, what's called self-liquidate the cost. So instead you pay someone $500, maybe you make 10 sales at $50 a piece. It covers the cost of that $500. You recoup your original cost and you can run these surveys over and over and over again. Super smart. I love that. Now let's get into exactly what is included in the deep dive survey. I think this is the one we're going to, we're going to go, sure. go into right now. And, you know, I know through reading the book and through experience with the survey I ran myself, you know, that very first question is the most important question. So why don't we go into, well, what is that question exactly? And what's the point of it? Absolutely. So the deep dive survey, again, it's that first survey you run that's designed to get open ended feedback from your market. So the first survey, Pat, that we're talking about, the first question is what I call the single most important question. Single most important question you're going to ask if your survey responders only answer one question, this is the one that you want them to answer. So what is it? Well, one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're getting open ended feedback and they say, well, Ryan, I've done surveys like this before, but I don't get useful information, oftentimes it's because they're asking the wrong question. And a common mistake people ask is trying to ask people directly what they want. You cannot directly say, hey, what do you want? And the reason for that is people don't know what they want. What people want is not inside their awareness. It's outside their awareness. And there are so many famous quotes in history that attest to this. So there's one that's attributed to Henry Ford. And he says, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. People didn't, didn't envision what a car might be. Steve Jobs more recently is famous for saying, people don't know what they want until they see it. Mm-hmm. And both of, both of these things are true. So then the question is, well, what are people good at answering? What type of questions can they give you an accurate response to? Well, one of the best ones is answering not what people want, but what they don't want. If I were to ask you, hey, Pat, what does a perfect day look like for you? You have to go to a place in your mind where you're trying to envision 
you've never experienced by definition a perfect day yet. And it's always going to change. So you're always going to be speculating on what that might be. It's not based on reality. But if I said, Pat, think back to the past week, right? And I want you to think back what happened in the past week. There's one thing that you just never have to deal with for the rest of your life that you'd never have to do ever again. What comes to mind? For me, it was the fact that the garbage, for whatever reason, was super dirty and smelly, and then we had to clean out the garbage can. I never want to have to deal with that ever again for the rest of my life. If you had a solution for that, that thing comes to mind because my wife and I were saying, who's going to clean the garbage can? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be me? Uh, I never want to have to deal with that again. Um, that's top of mind. It happened recently, and it's very easy for me to answer very concretely. I got one. Uh, which one for uh, you? So my wife and I, every single night, really, when we're trying to figure out what to eat, we spend like a half hour. And we just waste so much time. Yeah, and that's a, that's a perfect illustration is that how many times does it happen when, um, you know, you're, you're with a friend or your spouse or loved one or whatever, and you're saying, what do you feel like? It's like you go around the circle. <laughs> I don't know. What do you feel like? You want to do Mexican? You want to do sushi, Vietnamese? Uh, I don't know. What yeah, do you right? want? What do you want? You, you pick whatever, and then they pick something like, no, I don't want that. And you're like, what? You just said pick whatever. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. But if you instead start with using, uh, this is great that you brought that up. If you said, okay, well, honey, um, let's narrow it down. What's one thing that you want to cross off the list that you absolutely do not feel like? You do yours, I'll do mine. Let her go first. And she says, oh, I don't want pizza because we had pizza a couple nights ago. And you say, all right, I'm totally not in the mood for sushi because I, you know, gave me an upset summit last time we had sushi. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can start narrowing things down based on what you don't want. So deep dive survey. What type of question are you asking? Focus it around what do people not want? The way we do this online or in a survey is by asking people, what's your single biggest challenge or frustration or stumbling block related to XYZ? XYZ being the topic that you want to gather information around. So in your world, it might be as a hypothetical. I don't think this is what you asked specifically, but it might be something like um, when it comes to generating passive income, what's the single biggest challenge that you have right now in your business? Mm -hmm. Even better might be when it comes to generating passive income and trying to juggle achieving that with your day-to-day commitments, what's the single biggest challenge that you have related to that? Mm, That's good. That's good. So we're getting a little bit more specific now. What we're doing is just giving just enough information to, to put a ring fence around the possibilities of what people might say. Mm-hmm. If we're too broad, and so giving some, we're moving into case study time now, right? right? So talking about your question. Um, before I dive in, can, can you uh, uh, say exactly how you worded your yeah. open question? I'm looking at it right now. And uh, this is question well, one. Uh, so that is, what's your number one single biggest online business challenge right now? Please cool. be descriptive. So what's great about that is we focus on what people don't want. We focused on challenge and we kept it broad enough that we're not planting any answers in people's minds, right? If we're too specific, we might unintentionally put an idea in someone's mind that doesn't exist. Right. It artificially Like exists, if I said, right? what's your number one single biggest marketing challenge right now? Then I get rid of all those people who are struggling with you know, technology and you know, all those sorts of things. Right. And I might need to invent a marketing challenge if I don't have one. Right. Right. 
Um, because I, you, you've asked me a question, a, a problem that doesn't exist, I invent one to satisfy the demands of the survey taker. Right. Um, this happens in, in, and so my background is in neuroscience. I studied it. I, me, I didn't mention this earlier, but I studied and taught neuroscience at the Ivy League level at Brown University. That's what I did before going into finance. And so a lot of what I do is very psychological driven, psychologically driven, and, and there's a lot of uh, nuance to it. And so uh, I bring that up because when it comes to designing experiments, psychological experiments, you need to be really careful not to skew the data by doing something like that unintentional. Mm. Now, the challenge, and I noticed this immediately when I looked at your data, is, and you've probably noticed this as well, is that the responses are what? They're pretty all over all, the place. All over yeah. the right? Although we did do a lot of, uh, you know, my team's done a great job of going in there and trying to find those buckets. But like you say in the book, there is dozens uh, based right. off of that. And we've been narrowing down and kind of being creative with how we've been able to kind of put those all together. But yeah, you're right. Right. So, so that's great. And so, so what you've done and I'm, there's a, call it an intermediate level um, uh, strategy. What you've done is a great initial deep dive. What you might consider if you're considering perhaps going down one of several paths, and I'd love to know what maybe one of the paths might be if, if you're open to sharing. Um, if you're considering going down one of several paths, you might consider doing a follow-up deep dive that is more specific. So you might consider doing something like, a few weeks ago, we ran an open-ended survey asking you, what was the single biggest online business challenge that you've had to date? And interestingly enough, one of the most common responses had to do with blank. Mm. And because we really want to make sure that led us to, to the idea, well, maybe we should offer some training that helps on that topic specifically. And so we compiled all the answers and we have a pretty good idea of what I think you want to know. But before we put the finishing touches on this training, I want to make sure that I cover absolutely every single last question. So my question to you today is this, as it relates to that specific topic, XYZ, mm -hmm. What's your single biggest challenge or unanswered question related to that specifically? Right. Now, all your responses, instead of being spread across the dozen or so buckets that you and your team identified, are all going to be focused on that one bucket. And you're going to be able to get that much more nuanced on that specific thing. Mm. I see that for sure. I mean, there's definitely a load of respondents who are in the beginning phases who haven't even quite pulled the trigger yet on their businesses. And if we could reach out to those people specifically and ask, and we sort of did this in, in follow-up questions, and I'll talk more about that in a sec, but you know, in terms of getting started, what is it really that's holding you back? And if I could get open-ended questions on that, which we didn't get, that would be that much more beneficial. We did ask follow-up questions later on common uh, struggles that people who have yet to start a business have, and we got some great data out of that as well. But you know, one of the benefits of having these open-ended questions, as I read in your book, is to understand the language that they're using, which could be used on blog posts, on sales copy and emails and things like that. Oh, it's brilliant. And so I'll, t I'll touch on two examples of that in one of our businesses. And then I want to talk about a second mistake that people tend to make at this stage, because I want to make sure your audience doesn't make this second mistake either. Did I make either. it? <laughs> um, I don't think okay. so. Uh, I, I, think, I think you guys I'm got like it right. I'm freaking out now. Like, I'm talking, I'm talking <laughs> no, to the no, man no. about this. No, well, the, the, the first mistake is, is asking the wrong questions. And you've got that covered. You did a good job asking the right questions. And so that's great. The second mistake is related to analyzing the data. I'm going to talk about that in a cool. second. But first, you brought up a great point about the consumer language. And so people oftentimes come to me and they say, Ryan, 
how do I write copy that is going to resonate with my audience? Well, when you use the natural consumer language that your audience is echoing to you in a survey, you can create this response where people actually will come out and say to you, Pat, it's almost like you can articulate my thinking better than I can myself. It's like you can get inside my head or you are spying at my dinner conversation with my husband and you know exactly what's going on in my mind. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing any more complicated, it's no more complicated than paying attention to what people are saying and echoing it back to them. So in one of our businesses, in the memory business, there are a couple of phrases that I use in email subject lines, in sales letter headlines that I wish I could take credit for. I wish I could say I invented them, but <laughs> it's just language that came from the market. So one of them is, uh, I'm, I'm a poster child for poor memory. Mm. That came straight out of a survey. That became an email subject line. Poster child for poor memory, do this. Nice. Another one, I'm a chronic name forgetter. I just remember these because they came out. I'm like, that's a, that's a subject line. That's an email subject line. That's a, that's a headline. Beautiful. So these little bits come out of the survey and you just need to just echo them back to your market. Uh, so that's great that you are using the consumer language for your blog posts and ideas to, uh, on what you're going to be writing about. Yeah, I mean, now, I'm looking at some of my open-ended answers right now. Um, somebody said, my biggest challenge are the nuts and bolts of starting my business. So there's something there. Uh, I like this one. It's like floating in the Indian Ocean and hoping to be spied by a rescue plane. I cannot be found. Um, <laughs> Does it feel like, feel like your website's floating in the middle of the ocean and you can't be found? Do this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So good. I mean, that's like like we, we're writing copy right now, and you and I aren't doing any of the heavy heavy lifting. It's all in the survey. Right. So that's great. So that gets us to an important point, though. You want to focus on the right data within the survey. This is a second mistake that people tend to make. So all survey responses are not created equally. Now, the soundbite that I'm going to leave you with is that depth of response is more important than frequency of response. And I'll give you an example. So another, another market that we're in, as I mentioned, is in the gardening space. That was a business we took from nothing to, to $25,000 a month and about half a million dollars a year. And one of the first markets, first uh, products that we tried to create and launched very unsuccessfully was a guide on watering. Now, the reason why I launched this as our first product is I ran a survey and I paid attention to the survey data like a good student would. Mm -hmm. And the most frequently asked question or answered uh, a question in the uh, survey around the biggest challenge was around watering. And so naturally I said, okay, this is what people want. Everybody in the survey is saying watering. So we'll create this guide on how to water your plants and it's going to sell like gangbusters. And we literally sold zero copies. And I went back and I said, well, what's up? What did we do wrong? Where did we miss the mark? And what happened, Pat, is all the water responses were super, super short. People would say things like watering, water, how much water, when to water, how do you water? Super short. There was no indication of passion. So I went back to the survey and I said, well, what are the people leaving long answers saying? And what was interesting, it was completely different. These people said things like, you know, I've had three plants in the last three months, and every single time that I try to repot, the plant dies. And I follow everything step by step. I sterilize my tools. 
I wash my hands. I wear gloves. I'm making sure that I'm not using ceramic pots. I'm using plastic so that it's not leaching uh, the, the, the harmful glazes into the soil. I'm doing everything by the book, but yet I still can't keep my plant alive after I repot it. Help me. What am I doing wrong? Who do you think is more likely to buy? That person? Or the person who says watering, watering. <laughs> it's definitely the more passionate one, and you can you can get a yeah. sense for how passionate they are from from the length yeah, of the response. Exactly. And, and even though that represented a tiny fraction of the survey takers, those are the people who are willing to spend money to pay for a solution to their problem. Mm. So this is where you want to focus on the right data. And so the simple, most basic way, without getting into any formulas or anything, okay. is generally speaking, you want to focus on the top twenty percent of the longest open-ended responses that you get. And you can do this very simply in Excel by using a function called length, L-E-N, that'll calculate the number of characters in any open-ended response. And you want to focus on that top 20%. If you're familiar with the 80-20 rule, this is the top 20% that are going to represent 80% of the people who are most likely to become customers of whatever topic you're surveying them on. Yeah, it's interesting because we actually did that too. Um, Mindy took the results from the survey and found out who um, had the longest answers. We called we called them the thoughtful group or the, the ones with the long responses. Not to say that the other ones were not thoughtful because everybody who took the survey was thoughtful. So thank you guys for doing that. Um, but we found out some in good information about that. It's really interesting to see how the answers change as a result of kind of who you're looking at within that group. So this group, for example, we found to have uh, is less likely to have started a business, actually. And so a lot of the responses are based off of, you know, a lot of the struggles that they're having, even just trying to get started. Um, they are less likely to read the blog, actually, but much more likely to listen to the podcast by, you know, 12, 15 percent, actually. And what they are more interested in terms of what they want to learn more about, too, is, uh, is different than the general pool of the responses. I am not surprised. That I'm not, I'm not that I'm not surprised by those specific results. I'm not surprised that there's a difference between those two audiences. And, you know, one of the things that comes into my mind is the way in which the question was asked. It is phrased in a way sort of geared towards beginners, right? If someone asked me, what's your single biggest challenge when it comes to online business? It's a pretty broad thing. And so if I were a beginner, I might be able, I might be more inclined to answer that type of question in a deep way. For someone like me, because I am a, an advanced online marketer, mm -hmm. a question that would be something like, when it comes to tracking email conversion rate, what's the single biggest challenge that you have? Right. Right? That speaks to me because it's at my level. Sort of like if you talk to a child and you say, what's your favorite color? They might say red or blue. But you talk to an artist, someone who's gone through art school, are they going to tell you red or blue? No, they're going to tell you cerulean blue, or they're going to tell you crimson, right? They're not going to tell you something basic. And so it, the way we, the language we use is going to attract a certain type of audience. And what I'm telling you is not, is neither good nor bad. Ask, it's yeah. Just, yeah, it's just something to consider. Okay. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting, and I think you did a little, um, uh, you have some data around this, if I'm not mistaken, is when you couple this single most important question, this open-ended question, whatever it is that it might be, with demographic questions, this can be really powerful. Because mm -hmm. you'll identify things like, oh, the top 20% of survey responses tend to skew much more female, for example, or much older 
or more towards this geography or more towards businesses of this size or any other sort of demographic questions that you can ask. And that helps you identify, well, who is your bullseye avatar? Who are you speaking to? Your audience as a whole might average out to be women who are 55, but your hyper responsive, the one, the thoughtful responses, as you described Mm -hmm. it, maybe they're 62 year old women. They're older. So when you're creating ads, when you're telling stories, when you're writing blog posts, you're going to speak more to a 62-year-old woman who is in a different situation than a 55-year-old woman in that fictitious example. I see. Awesome. And in addition to the open-ended question, the first question, as you can see here in my survey and those of you who took it, you, you know that you know, I asked quite a bit of follow-up questions. And, you know, Ryan, I know I have a great relationship with those in my audience, so I felt like I could probably ask more questions and get more answers than somebody who's just starting out, for example, who might just want to ask a couple. I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Did I make a mistake by asking too many questions and trying to get deeper, but knowing that I have this relationship with my audience and they probably would go further, and then also would somebody just starting out kind of stick to, I mean, how many questions would they want to have? It's a fantastic question. So first of all, um, I have the data in front of me and I'm not going to say the exact number, but I am blown away, (laughs) just absolutely blown away by just the sheer number of responses that you have just on an absolute level. It's among the highest that I've ever seen. That's awesome. And I work with companies that are like nine figure, like they're doing north of a hundred million dollars a year. They have multi-million person lists and they can't get a fraction of this. So I think that just speaks volumes about you, uh, your audience, and the relationship that you have with each other. So um, kudos to, 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 to all everybody. of you. Yeah, you that's, guys rock. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, second thing is the way you combat that is I suggest separating your questions on one screen at a time. So if you use a software like SurveyGizmo or you use, I have a software that's called SurveyFunnel Software, and there are many on the market that allow you to ask one question on a screen and then click next. Mm -hmm. What happens is you can capture that data. So when someone answers that single most important question, they click next. The data is captured. You have not lost it. They get to the next question. Some people will answer it. Some people will say, you know what? I'm just going to drop off here. That gives you the best of both worlds. It ensures that you're getting the most number of people to answer your most important questions. And then you might consider going in descending order of importance. So by the end, if you're asking five, six, seven, eight questions, people who answer question number eight, generally speaking, is only going to represent a fraction of the people who answered question number one. Hmm. But you can still get that data from as many people as possible. If you conversely ask eight or nine or 10 questions all on one screen, all on one page, unless you're Pat Flynn, uh, most markets, people are going to say, oh, gosh, I don't have time for that. That looks complicated. That looks hard. Right, right. We Thank you for sharing that. We use SurveyMonkey and indeed most of the questions were one per page, except for a couple that were related to each other. Yep. Yep. So you, you guys hit the nail on the head there. You, you, um, you know, hit it out yeah, of the park. Those things to you, obviously. Um, I, I made my team read the book too. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I know we didn't get a chance to chat before you guys kicked off the survey. I know you were traveling and you wanted to get it off the ground. And I was, I was saying, ah, if I can help you, I'll make sure that you do everything right. But, uh, honestly, you guys like, you know, 
you did a great job. I, you know, there's maybe a few things here or there, maybe the wording of the question in a few places, uh-huh. but for the most part, you guys, you guys knocked it out of the park. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. It, the, the interesting thing that I remember reading in your book that kind of blew me away when you talked about the strategy behind it. Um, we kind of tweaked it a little bit, as you could see after I talk about this, but in your survey that you have for the deep dive, one of the final questions is, hey, if you, um, I, I believe the question is something to do with, you know, well, if you would ever consider talking to me more about this or helping me out even further, include your phone number. And just collecting that there at the end of the survey gives you a good understanding of kind of who is it really that would actually take the time to talk to you, you know, kind of dividing the group into, yeah, I would totally talk about this and, and understanding their uh, uh, similar to kind of how we looked at the thoughtful slash long responses, you're getting an idea of who would actually want to engage with you and things like that. We just decided not to collect uh, phone numbers because I feel like, or we talked internally and we said, well, if we started collecting phone numbers, one, that's, you know, it's always scary to collect kind of data like that, especially when, when we say it was an anonymous survey. But additionally, I felt like that if we asked for people's phone numbers, they would be expecting a call and would kind of be disappointed if they didn't get one. Um, so we kind of turned that question around and said, well, here's a random final question. Would you be interested if, if you could f- come to San Diego? And I think I could have worded it better, but um, if you could come to San Diego and hang out with Pat for a day, w- would you spend $1,000 to do it? Yes or no? And actually it was kind of cool. About 40% of people said, yes, they would. And it's really interesting to see the different answers from those people who said yes versus those who said no. I think that's a great twist. I think that's a great twist to that question. And the whole reason behind the phone number is to get another data point around hyper-responsiveness. So for example, there are some people who they're going to leave long responses because they have nothing to do. (laughs) They're unemployed. They have a lot of time on their hands and they just love to write. There are some people that just naturally tend to write more and maybe they are more uh, of a writer than an auditory type person. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've got people on my team that are like this. I've got people on my team that they, when, when we're on a team call, they will never speak up, but oftentimes they have the best suggestions. They just send them to the team or to the group in an email afterwards. They're just, that's the way they communicate. I have other people who are paranoid over the idea of having to type up an email. They'd rather just hop on a quick phone call for three minutes. So phone is another indicator of if someone is willing to get on the phone with you to chat about the situation, all things being equal, if they have a response that's a hundred characters long, you might want to double the size of that, the length of that response when you're scoring the top 20% of your responses because they left their phone number. And generally speaking, the number that I like to use is 1.5. So if someone leaves a 100-character response and they leave their phone number, I apply a force multiplier of 1.5 so that their effective score is 150. In other words, it's just as valuable or they're just as responsive as someone who leaves a 150-character response and who does not leave their phone number. Right. So it's just a great way to measure that additional data point. And what you did in some ways is even more ingenious because you're really asking the $64,000 question, which is, would you pay money for a solution to the problem you said you're running into? Right. Now I know that there's thousands of people who would come to San Diego. So maybe I could put on my own event or something. I don't, I don't know. 
Um, but man, this is this is this is super cool. And obviously, there's a, there's a lot more detail in the book. Uh, go to smartpassiveincome.com slash ask book for uh, for Ryan's book on Amazon. Make sure to leave a great review as well. I still have to leave that. I apologize. I didn't leave that yet for you, Ryan, but I will go ahead and do that for sure. Uh, any any final thoughts for people out there who who are, you know, about to get into this deep dive survey, final pointers, because we could talk about this for days, I feel like. But, you know, maybe what's one big thing to make sure people pay attention to when they're when they're conducting these surveys and analyzing their audience? Yeah, you know, I think we've talked about a lot. And I think when people hear that there are four surveys or you have to get the questions right, it can sometimes be like most things. It, it kind of feels a little intimidating right. and you run into that paralysis analysis. My best advice is I'm going to say two things. Number one, you don't have to get it perfect. You just have to get it going. Yes. Getting 10 survey responses is infinitely more valuable than zero. And then the second thing is this. I tell people the four most profitable words, excuse me, five most profitable words of my career are very simple. Every time that I've run into a situation where I've said, ah, am I going to move forward or am I not? I psych myself into it. And I say, screw it, just do it. And every time that I've done that, it's led to good things in my life. So if you're hearing Pat and I talk about this and you're saying, yeah, this makes total sense, my advice to you, screw it, just do it. Ask a few questions, get a little bit of feedback, get the ball rolling. Once you see that feedback come in, it's going to be some of the most encouraging pieces of, 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 of information, of data that you get. It's going to get you excited to deliver to your audience. And it's just a, a great way to, to run your business and, and to serve your audience by finding out what they want and giving it. To right. Them. Absolutely. I mean, I won't go over the details here. A lot of you will see the results of the survey come out in future courses and products and things like that and books that I'm writing right now, actually. Uh, but it is very, very encouraging to see and also very inspiring to see that people are out there and they're looking to help you. And here you are collecting this information so you can help them further. So uh, de definitely, I mean, gosh, one of the best things I've done in a while and I'm just kicking myself because I haven't started sooner. So uh, screw it. Just do it. Absolutely. Ryan, where can people get more information about you and what, what it is that you have to offer online? And like, where, where can people find more info about you? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, the, I think the best place to get started is the book Ask. It's available around the world. It's translated into different languages. It's available in Barnes and Noble and Walmarts and Targets and, and Amazon. And so you'll find the book in most bookstores uh, around the world. Um, that said, um, we have a special opportunity. Um, we're Pat will provide the details around this. Where we're going to be offering a few totally free copies of the book. And if you go to askformula.com, askformula.com, and follow the instructions that Pat provides, uh, we're going to make a few copies of the book available totally free. Um, and if you miss out on that totally free opportunity, worry not, because I have a special deal where you can get a copy of the book, just pay shipping and handling, and I'll, and I'll send it over to you. So my mission in life at this point in my life and my career is uh, impact is a lot more important than money for me. And I really want to get this book in as many people's hands as possible. You'll hear my story. You'll hear how we started from nothing, how we failed, um, and how this formula is transformative in our lives. And I hope it has the same impact on your life as well. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. What was that URL once again? Askformula.com slash... If you go to ask, if you go to askformula.com and um, you go to the homepage, uh, if you follow the instructions on the on the homepage, there'll be a link there. Uh, uh, okay. uh, cool. And and as far as the special instructions for the the free copy that we set up, um, yeah, we'll um, 
we'll make that available as well. Okay, awesome. Ryan, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure and I can't wait to get this into the hands and ears of everybody out there in the SPA audience. This is, I know, going to help a lot of people. You've already helped me a ton. And uh, thank you once again, Ryan. We appreciate you. Thank you, Pat. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ryan Levesque, again, the author of Ask. And I highly recommend you check out his book. And you can actually get it for free if you go to smartpassiveincome.com slash askbook. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash askbook. You get it delivered to wherever you want it to be delivered. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling, but the book is free. Now, if you wanted to go to Amazon, you can go to the show notes, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 178. And there'll be a link to the Kindle book there and also the Audible book as well. But if you wanna get the physical book delivered to your doorstep, all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash askbook. And again, all you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. And Ryan also offered to give away 100 books for completely for free without the shipping and handling. But I actually offered those coupon codes to people who were on my book club email list. So I have a book club and every month I talk about a new book that I've been reading and I give away as much as I can on that, like these special deals or uh, notices about new books that are coming out that nobody's ever heard about before. So if you go to patsbookclub.com, you can sign up to that email list and you can get uh, additional exclusive offers like this in the future. But I've already shared that coupon code to the people who are on that list right now and the first 100 users got, or the first 100 people to put in the coupon code, uh, you got the book for completely free without even having to pay for shipping, shipping and handling. So thank you, Ryan. Thank you to Ryan's team for making that happen and setting that up. And again, you can check out my book club at patsbookclub.com. So Ryan, thank you again for all, all that information. And actually, Ryan came on after we stopped recording. He came back and called me back and he said, Pat, I forgot to tell you something about the email list and email list building that I want you to make sure everybody knows. And I said, well, let's just record this. We'll add it to the end of the show. So stick around through the sponsors because you're gonna hear something else that Ryan has to offer you at the end in terms of value and, and uh, a tip you can use for email marketing. But speaking of sponsors, I, I wanna talk about really quick my buddy Chris Ducker, who you heard on the last episode, episode 177. We talked about Periscope, but we also talked about his up and coming brand new membership area called youpreneur.com. And this is, I love this tagline. It's a place where no but he gets left behind. And it's really important because I feel like there's a lot of websites out there, there's a lot of membership sites actually that, you know, they do a good job of getting you excited about getting in there. And then once you're in there, you're kind of on your own. But here, Chris and the community in youpreneur.com is gonna help take care of you as well. It doesn't matter what level you're at with your business. This is, a, this, is, this is a resource that can be very, very helpful for you. So I recommend you check it out. Again, that's at youpreneur.com. I know behind the scenes that Chris has been working his butt off to make this the best experience possible. So again, that's youpreneur.com. And Chris, I know you're listening to this. I couldn't be more proud of the work that you put into this and I'm very stoked to be a part of it with you. So youpreneur.com. Guys, I've, I've really been enjoying this podcast and I will continue to do it in the future for you. I know a lot of you have taken the information that I've shared here, the interviews that we've done uh, with other experts and other people and, and have actually taken action with it. And I just love you for that. I, I'm so thankful that I have an audience who uh, is actually not just learning, but learning and putting things into place to make change in their lives and the lives of others too. I mean, we're all here to serve other people, I hope. Um, but I know a lot of you also need a little bit more help. Uh, I've been getting messages left and right from people who have been asking for more and, and deeper information about certain things. So what I've done is that I've actually put together a number of courses and there's more courses coming in the future thanks to your recommendations. If you go to smartpassiveincome.com slash courses, you'll see a list of the courses that are currently available there or that you can sign up for the wait list for. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening in today. I appreciate it and I 
am truly excited about next week's episode as well, where we are talking with Mr. Tim Page. Tim Page from leadpages.com, who is giving us a lot of great information about what's working today when building your email list, especially for those of you who have either a, a podcast or a YouTube channel, something where you're using your voice and people are on the go. Tim's got some amazing data to back up some things that are working very well today in terms of building your email list off of a podcast or a YouTube channel and things like that. So make sure to check that out next week. But until then, thank you so much for listening again. You can get Ryan's book at smartpassiveincome.com slash askbook. And the show notes are available at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 178. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. And I'll see you in the next episode of Smart Passive Income Podcast. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So, hey, this is Ryan Levesque here. And Pat, I know you mentioned that your audience is really interested in email marketing. And we were talking about using feedback in your marketing to really guide your decision-making and asking the right questions and using surveys. Uh Well, what's interesting is that one of the most powerful, easiest ways to get feedback is to do it in email. And this is what I call my, my, my secret email technique. And it works like this. When someone signs up for your email list, the first email that you want to send out is something that delivers whatever ethical bribe, whatever promise that you made. So maybe it's a free report, maybe it's a free video, maybe it's a, a free checklist or whatever that might be. And then what you do is this. About two hours after that first email goes out, you can set this up with your email service provider. You send an email that says, hey, Pat, it's Ryan here. And uh, I shot you an email a few hours ago with your checklist or your free report or whatever. And I just wanted to make sure that I sent it to the right place. Would you do me a favor and hit reply to this email to let me know that you got it? It would mean the absolute world to me. Now, here's why this is so powerful. First, people are going to be blown away that you checked up on them. That's the thing. Second thing is it gives you an opportunity to start a conversation. You're inviting them to hit reply, which is the easiest call to action that you can make in an email because you're not asking them to click on a link. All you're asking them to do, whether they're on their iPhone, whether they're on their computer, just to hit reply. And third, this is the single best way to be whitelisted on someone's email. Why is that? Because when you, when you send an email to them, they send an email back to you and you do what I'm about to say, it becomes a conversation. It's just like an email read that you might have with your spouse mm-hmm. or your mother or something like that. Now, here's where you blow people away. They write to you and they say, yep, got it. Thanks so much. You write back to them. Neither you do this or you have a customer service person, but I advise that when you're first kicking this off, do this yourself because it'll really put you in touch with your audience. You reply back to them and you say, great. So glad to hear that. Hey, quick question. I'm, I've, I'm, I'm thinking about covering XYZ topic in the next couple of days. What's the single biggest challenge that you have related to this topic? I'll try to cover it in one of my upcoming emails. People will be blown away that you took the time to personally respond back to them. And at the same time, you're constantly collecting feedback from your market on exactly what you should talk about. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes this can lead to direct sales right then and there because they, they realize you're a real person. You're not this monolithic organization. Now, it sounds so counterintuitive. It's, it's like, why would you do this? The answer to email is automation, not manual. But when was the last time 
that someone ever did this to you. Right. You would talk about it. You would remember it. So it's one of the most powerful things that you can do. You get feedback. It guides your decision-making with email. And I know email is such a hot topic, so it's one of my favorite things to do with email and uh, happy to share it with your audience. That's awesome. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you sharing that tip. Everybody's going to love that for sure. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.